This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, August 1st, the I'm a prince, not a princess edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the best advice show podcast. I live in Detroit with my family. My oldest, Noah, is five, and my youngest, Ami, is two. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Autumn Brown. I am co-host of the podcast, How to Survive the End of the World. I live on Dakota and Anishinaabe land, also known as Minneapolis. And I am single mom to three amazing children, Finn, who is almost 14, Siobhan, who is 12, and Maraid, who is nine. Autumn, welcome back. I'm glad to see you twice in one week. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be back. Thank you. Today, we've got a question from a parent wanting to help her almost five-year-old better understand gender stereotypes and perhaps how she's feeling about her own identity. We've also got recommendations. But first, Jamila put out a call for car entertainment ideas and... You all did so good. Thank you for sending that stuff to us. We love getting letters in general, but audio from you specifically. This is so fun. So we've got some emails with ideas, and we wanted to share a few. Matthew wrote in with a game called Guess the Disney Character. Take a listen. Hey, Mom and Dad are fighting. This is Matt from Alexandria, Virginia. I wanted to pass along a game we've been playing for a few years now that we call Guess the Disney Character. We take turns picking a character from a show or movie, with the rule being it needs to be on Disney+. Plus. So that includes Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, as well as all the regular Disney movies and shows. Then through a series of yes or no questions, we try to guess who it is. My 9-year-old daughter and 13-year-old son love playing this game and will frequently request it. That's brilliant. That is so good. Love it. I love that. Thank you. I wonder if there's like a limit on how many questions you can ask. That's a good point. You know yeah, like maybe you cut it off at a certain point. Mm-hmm. That's how you determine the winner. Let us know, Matt. But either way, very fun game. And I like the idea of other families not doing like, oh, no, we don't do it with Disney Plus. We do it with uh, PBS Turner Classic Kids. Movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great idea. Thank you, Matthew. We also got a suggestion from Reshma for a game called Guess in 10. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. Love the podcast. Something that's worked for us is a game called Guess in 10, and they have all sorts of Guess in 10, like animals, water things, geographical places, capitals of cities and states and things like that. They're like formatted to be played a certain way. We just have the kids read us the buzzwords and sometimes the clues, and then while we're driving, we're trying to guess what it is. Super fun, and I think it might help um, in the car with Naima. Another great idea. Love that. Thank you. These are both great for their minimalism. You know, you don't need anything other than the the concept. So I really like that. No, Guess in 10 is a game that you purchase. Oh, it's actually, it's actually a game? actually a purchase. Oh, yeah. oh. Like you, yeah. cards. Like cards, yep. I'm looking it up right now. Now, Eileen sent us quite a few. Thanks, Eileen, including one you might recognize from former co-host of ours. Rest in peace, Dan. <laughs> Hi, my name's Eileen Huber. I live in Virginia And I have two kids, Silas, who's 11, and Petra, who's 9. For my job, I'm a professional theater director, and so I have to travel a lot (laughs) to work on plays. Um, And usually my family comes with me. And so here's just some of the things that we do. Uh, We definitely always are listening to audiobooks. 
And then we started getting into like more and more other things. So one that we love is Ace of Hates, which Dan Kois invented. So it's an easy one to play. Even if you're driving, you can pretty easily glance at a playing card and see what it is. <clears throat> we play a game called Counting Cows. You count the cows that are on your side of the road. But if you pass a graveyard, all of your cows become ghosts and go to the other side. So they become the other person's, the other side of the car's points. Uh, and if you pass a burger restaurant, all the cows die on whichever side of the car the restaurant was on. Um, we play another improv game called Alien Interview, which is where one person has to be the interviewer and all of the other people are the heads of one alien, but each head can only say one word at a time. And so the interviewer will ask the alien how they feel about something about Earth. Like, you know, so what's your favorite restaurant on Earth? And the other people have to collaboratively answer that one uh, when word at a time without discussing it, we play a game called Alphabet Categories, which is where somebody has to pick a category and we have to go around naming something that fits in that category for each letter of the alphabet. So like it might be things that are in space and, you know, one person might say asteroid and the next person might say blasters. <laughs> the next person would say like comets uh, and you, you go around and, and figure that out. So these are just some of the many things that we do when we're uh, in the car for a long time. Wow. Genius. I want to go on a road trip with that family. <laughs> I played alphabet categories at a beach party the other day, like with adults as a drinking game. That's such a good sounds game. Really fun. There's so much stuff there. Dan's game sounds incredible. We need the rules to that. I, I need um, to know more about that game. Autumn, you weren't here for that first conversation we had about car entertainment. What is a tried and true way for you all to pass the time. I mean, I'm a big believer that boredom is like a amazing tool for a character development. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so how do you get your kids not to complain? So I do a lot of expectation management, you know, that like there's going to be points in this trip where you're going to feel bored and you're going to have to figure out how to entertain yourselves. Oh, look, we've arrived at our destination. We are going to get out of the car and take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back, and let's hop into our listener question of the day. Take it away, Shasha. Dear Mom and Dad, how do I talk about complicated gender theory stuff with an almost five-year-old? My daughter occasionally says things that make me wonder if she has gender dysphoria. Over the last year or so, she's often talked about girls in her daycare class as if she sees them as the other, having mostly male friends and being very upset if they other her as a girl often playing male roles and using male titles for herself during pretend play. I'm King, insert family nickname. Sometimes it seems like she tries to force herself to like stereotypical girl shows that her female friends have mentioned. This morning at breakfast, she said, I don't want to be a girl. Girls have to like cute things, and I don't like cute things. I told her there are lots of different ways to be a girl, and it's fine that she likes superheroes more. She loves He-Man, Avengers, Gujitsu, and Batman. My husband and I are both fine with this. Buy her whatever toy she wants and are throwing her a Gujitsu birthday party at the end of the summer. I'm worried about how to help her navigate all this stuff as she starts kindergarten in the fall and gender norms may only intensify. We are in an overall red state in the Midwest. Though we live in a large enough metropolitan area that our elementary school is reasonably diverse and tolerant, I'm not sure how to tell if she just feels out of sync with 
quote unquote typical girl interests or truly doesn't feel like a girl. I don't want to confuse or overcomplicate things if it's the former, but I also don't want to make her think that the latter is unacceptable. We will always love her, regardless of who she turns out to be and how she identifies. The only books we have on gender stuff right now are the Bernstein Bears, He Bear, She Bear. Great from the girls can do anything standpoint, but not great in the sense of reinforcing the binary. And it feels good to be yourself, which introduces some gender identity concepts and vocab. Any other books slash tips slash voices of experience would be much appreciated. Thanks in advance. Jamila, what do you think about this? It sounds like you're doing, you know, the right things, that you're giving them the space to explore who they are, what they like, what they want to do, and that, you know, you continue to remind them that, you know, there's no one way to be a girl, but also, you know, introduce the idea that not everybody identifies as a girl or a boy. You know, and that it's possible that you don't identify as neither, you know, but at this point, you don't have to answer that question. You just tell us what you know about yourself as it starts to, you know, occur to you. Like you'll, your child will tell you who they are over time. You just give them space to, you know, explore gender presentation and language and, television shows and comic books and all the things that children should be able to explore without it being coded for, you know, since you're a girl, you get to do this. Since you're a boy, you must do that. While encouraging them to, you know, do what makes you feel happiest. As far as books, I'm generally a fan of the a kids book about series and they do have a kids book about gender. BuzzFeed, remember them. They have a nice uh, list of books about gender expression that uh, we'll include a link to in the show notes. Um, one of them I am familiar with, Julian is a Mermaid, which is a lovely book love about book. Uh, a super lovely book about a, a kid named Julian who is gender nonconforming and is a beautiful child exploring life and this vibrant community that they're a part of and themselves with encouraging people who love them. I love Julian as a mermaid. It's one of my favorite kids' books. Um, My thinking for this parent is, I think you might actually be overthinking it. Um, The only thing you have to do to support your child really figuring out their gender expression and gender identity is to follow their lead. And it's great to be able to offer your kids, you know, information and language, and then they can figure out what to do with that information and language. But I think the, the energy I was picking up on in this letter was this sort of energy of like concern or there may be a problem here. And I just Mm want to really say like, there's no problem here. It's not, there's nothing bad happening. It's actually a really beautiful thing if your child is already finding like the language to be able to say like, not that, but this, not that, but this, not that, but this. So then all you have to do is really follow the child's lead. I think it's important to keep in mind that like, you don't have to have complicated conversations about complicated gender theory with a child, right? And even language like gender dysphoria 
that is language that may be useful to have later on if they need that language in order to be able to like access gender affirming care. But it's like a diagnosis that is is like very much for people who are non-binary or trans, the primary purpose that that language serves is to get access to healthcare, right? <laughs> but it's not, I don't think it's useful to think about gender expression or gender exploration itself as um, a disorder, right? Um, and that's the that language tends to kind of imply that there's some sort of disordered relationship to gender happening, which is not what this sounds like. Um, you know, I think it's really, really normal when we're parenting, particularly when we're parenting young children, to feel some level of like, overwhelm when we start to, when we witness our children really start to self-identify, whatever that means, right? Because it's a reminder to us that they really are fully separate from us. And then if we don't feel like we have the, we didn't, we weren't adequately prepared, then we're like scrambling. I'm supposed to be the one who can help you figure this out. Um, what I've witnessed with my own kids and their gender journeys my oldest child is non-binary. My oldest child was really clear from a young age that they, you know, <laughs> did not identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, right? Like very, very clear. But the way that they acquired language, like the language of being able to identify as non-binary was like through watching a video of a teenager talking about their gender identity, right? Mm -hmm. And then three weeks later, they sort of, they started coming to us being like, this is the word for who mm. I am. You know what I mean? And, and what was it that they were watching? It's funny. Previously, in an earlier point in my career, I served as executive director for a, a nonprofit in Minnesota called Reclaim that supports queer and trans youth to get mental health services. And mm. so it was a it was like a video that I was watching that had been produced related to the young people that we were working with. And so okay. my oldest child just happened to see, to like walk into the room while I was watching it. Mm. And then it kind of percolated, you know, but it wasn't, mm. it wasn't like I was introducing that to them on purpose. Or that they saw it on YouTube or something. No, was, you know, it was just, but now you can go on Netflix and find shows that have all different kinds of people and all different kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. Like uh, everything is right there for the taking. Mm -hmm. And so the good news is that you're not even going to have to work very hard to get the, to get the kind of stuff that will benefit your child. Um, you just do have to put in a little bit of that Google and legwork. And your only job really as a parent is to advocate for your kid and protect them and protect their ability to advocate for themselves. I guess that's three jobs. So long as you're advocating for them to have self-determination, you're golden, you know? I just wanted to clarify um, something. So in the letter, the letter writer writes, I'm not sure how to tell if she just feels out of sync with typical girl interests or truly doesn't feel like a girl. So is the point to say like, it, it you don't need to know and they don't need to know. And that's not what we should be focusing on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's certainly no rush around this stuff unless, unless like the child was basically in distress over the fact that mm -hmm. they were being referred to as a mm -hmm. girl and the parents were mm -hmm. trying to enforce right. girl related interests, then that would be a sign that like, you do need to adjust your parenting. You do need to adjust your approach right. to this child's gender related because they are in distress over your inability to affirm their gender. But if the child is basically just like, 
that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. And I'm only, I'm interested in these things over here. As long as the adults in their lives are saying yes to that and are advocating for their ability to self-define, that gives the kid time to figure out, am I just a tomboyish person or am I non-binary or... Am I trans? You know what I mean? I do think that there's some obligation here for the parents to like, you know, train themselves up so that they can later do that work of being able to like introduce language and give more information and stuff like that. But like, you know, right now it's really just about freedom. If this continues to be something that she, you know, feels put upon by girl stuff, quote unquote, try to like help her to appreciate girl stuff beyond just the idea of being cutesy and femme, you know, like there's a lot of valuable stuff that you get from consuming content that is skewed toward girls, you know, and I think all children would benefit from playing with baby dolls because it teaches you about caregiving, you know, and so like, um, you know, a lot of the themes around girl stuff on TV censor empathy and kindness, you know, stuff that you don't always get from programming made for boys, which is why all the kids need to be taking this stuff in and it needs to be in all of their entertainment, but it's not. Um, you Good know, call. I. So, yeah, don't let her get away with thinking that girl stuff is icky or bad. You know, it, it might not all appeal to you, and that's totally fine, you know, but not only is it the sun and moon and stars to someone else who is not icky or bad because you don't, you know, connect to some of them in that way. But also it's, it's got its own value and it's fine. And the things that you prefer have value too, but you know, yeah, don't let mm-hmm. girl stuff become mm-hmm. bad. Like girl that. stuff's not the enemy, even mm. if it is the case that, you know, she, her pronouns are not appropriate. It, it makes me think about, I totally hear and feel your worry about, you live in an overall red state and you you can control how you parent and you're doing so so lovingly and beautifully, but you can't control other people. So I, I relate to that. Um, mm. So what's a better um, channel for, for our worry? Like, of course, we're going to worry about our kids. We're going to worry about assholes being assholes. But what, what can we do as parents to um, not just like hope that someone doesn't um, discriminate against them or make fun of them or shame them or whatever? I mean, I'll say, I think all, all of the statistics on this are really, really clear that like the most damaging thing that can happen to a child who is non-binary or trans is to not feel, not not be affirmed by their parents specifically. Right. So it's like, you know, and there, there is, it can be counterintuitive, I think for parents who were not anticipating having a non-binary trans child, because they do go to the externalizing the fear of like, what about what other people are going to do to my child? But it's like, it's actually what you do that matters more than anything else. Your reaction Mm -hmm. is the most important thing. If they feel cared for and accepted and loved by you, if they, if they experience that the relationship with you is safe, they will be able to navigate everything else that happens. Change your family to change the world. Yeah, literally. Right. It's like, you need to be their safe space because the world, the world's not going to get safer for anybody, unfortunately. But I don't know. I also hope that I would think that like when our kids are 30, it will be a safer place for non-binary kids. 
You know what I mean? Right. They are. It's a really different generation that's coming up. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good call. Well, letter writer, thank you for writing in and let us know how it goes. Everyone else, we always love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts, questions, and responses by email or voice memo to momanddad at slate.com. Finally, it's time for recommendations. That part of the show where we talk about stuff we think you should uh, check out. Jamila, what are you recommending? I am recommending as an update to our segment about games to play in the car, Ace of Hates, which is a game by Dan Qua, the late Dan Qua, former host of the show. Someone, <laughs> just so you know, Autumn, he is not He's dead. Not He's dead. not dead. He's not dead. Just FYI. No. I thought it was a game that, like, that you just play, you know, um, without having... Oh, like that it was, like, created by a company, you mean? Dan did create and sells this game. I texted him. I was like, how do you play... I texted him. I was like, how do you play Ace of Hates? Because I wasn't clear on the rules from her explanation. And he was like, make me a hundred air and buy some. And he sent me a link. So the link is in the show notes. You can buy the game Ace of Hates by Dan Kois. Oh my god! I love how prolific he is. He does wow. so many writer things. And game designer, second book huh. writer, <laughs> second book writer, amazing. Oh yeah, there it is, right on his website. Great recommendation. I am definitely going to learn more about this. Yes, that's incredible. Autumn, I'm recommending a book that I'm currently listening to, an audio book called "Already Free" by Bruce Tift. Um, it's it's basically a book about where Buddhism meets psychotherapy, but it's very oriented to like in your individual life, how do you transform your relationship to anxiety, worry, catastrophic thinking, um, and take full responsibility, full responsibility for your internal state, like your internal landscape, the feelings and emotions that are unfolding within you and not blaming other people for how you're feeling. Um, so as a parent, I think it's like a really, really, really mm. good book to read. And it's been very beautiful for me to experience. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I am recommending this Joni Mitchell moment. Are, did you all see what happened? What? No. Joni Mitchell played her first full set mm-hmm. in 20 years at the Newport Folk Festival this past weekend. She had a brain aneurysm in 2015, and I don't think wow. she'd performed at all since then. Wow. But she sat like on a throne, basically, in the middle of just uh, like 30, you know, amazing folk and country musicians um, who are like, you know, super well known in, in that world. And they were all just like crying. And I think everyone was crying. And they, she performed like Joni Mitchell is 79 and her voice has gone down like two octaves at least. And she sounds amazing, but also like totally like vulnerable too, like, uh, like someone who's had an aneurysm and she just like performed this set and it was imperfect and, you know, but also just so deep and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you can see it on YouTube. They play um, Carrie and both sides now and big yellow taxi. Um, It's really special. Nice. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Beautiful. It's so good. Watch it with your mom or your daughter or your son or your dad or anyone in your life. (laughs) Or anyone in your life. (laughs) Watch it with someone who would love it is what I'm trying to say. But to be honest, I did send it to my mom and it was a nice moment for the two of us. Um, Oh, mom. Love you, mama. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds on Thursday, so be sure to tune in. While you're at it, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. 
This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Christy Tywell McAnjula and Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Autumn Brown, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>